Turn with me this evening to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, and the chapter 2. We're going to commence at the first verse, reading through uh, to the end of verse 16. Usually it's the gospel message in the evening and the believer's message in the morning. Well, I felt that um, I should reverse that. I'm glad I did. And tonight we're coming to look at uh, the day that the world was changed. The day that the world was changed or began uh, to change. Namely the day of Pentecost with the, in, uh, with the pouring out of the Spirit of God. That's what we need again, folks, isn't it? We need an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And God's people need that infilling of the Spirit of God. Thank God when we're saved, we have the indwelling. But that is one thing. The indwelling of the Spirit of God is one thing that we receive at the moment of our salvation. But we need the constant daily infilling of the Spirit of God. And if every child of God had that, I tell you, this, this land would be a different place because we would be different uh, people. And what an influence uh, the twelve apostles had. And if every child of God was then filled with the Spirit of God, what could not be accomplished in our own wee land? He's still the same God. He's still the same Spirit. There's still the same promises. It all depends if my people. That's where it all hinges, folks, if my people. Acts chapter 2 and the verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You see, that's the starting point, folks. It's not in the message. That's the starting point. Not the place, but the attitude. They were all with one accord in one place. And when the circumstances was right, look what happened. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and all the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be it known unto you, and hearken unto my words, for these are not drunken, as ye, have, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. 
But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We'll end our reading there, and we trust that God will bless the reading of his word this evening to each of our hearts for his own name's sake. The day of Pentecost was a day when the world was changed, and changed forever. It was the coming of the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, that made that change. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was God the Holy Spirit that made the difference. You see, without the Holy Spirit and without Pentecost, one thing is for sure, and it is this, that apart from the Holy Spirit, the church would have been just another religious sect. Without the, with, without the coming of the Holy Spirit, without the infilling of the Spirit of God and the reality of that third person, uh, the Church of Christ would have been another religious, we might say fanatical group that would have been uh, sure to have disappeared within a few years. But the church hasn't because the Spirit of God has been abiding. Back in John chapter 16 and the verse 7, the Savior really spoke the truth when he said unto his disciples, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. You see, the disciples didn't want the Lord uh, to leave them. Not really enough. They wanted the Lord to tarry with them. My, if the Lord came into our midst tonight, we wouldn't want to go home, and we certainly wouldn't want the Lord to leave us. And it was the same for the disciples. But the Lord said to them, listen, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Who's the Comforter? It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says, unless I go, he cannot come. And so we can look back and we can say that the Lord had to die upon the cross. He had to shed his blood uh, that our sins might be forgiven uh, and he had to shed his blood for the redemption of our souls. Uh, and let me say this evening, maybe you're in here, and, uh, uh, yes, this is a believer's message, but you're here tonight and you're not saved. Let me say this to you. The reason why Christ went to the cross, the reason why he shed his blood was that your sins might be forgiven, that your soul might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from the condemnation of sin. Ultimately, that your soul might be saved from hell. And listen, I implore you tonight in the Savior's name that if you're not saved or you're not born again, no matter how upright or righteous or religious you may be, I implore you tonight, turn away from your sin and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Scripture says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. We look back and... Yes, the Lord had to die upon the cross that I might be saved. And the Lord had to die upon the cross and shed his blood that each one of us here that we might be saved. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Calvary was a necessity. If ever we were going to be in glory. But the Savior also had to depart that he might send the Comforter that he might send the Holy Ghost unto his disciples and unto his people that they might be comforted. 
and that they might be empowered for service. You see, the work of God, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so of God's people, if you and I are going to be empowered uh, for the service of God, uh, then Christ had to die, but he had to depart. He had to go back into glory from whence he came, and that the comforter might come, that we might be comforted, and that we might be empowered for service. But notice what the Savior said uh, the Holy Ghost would do in John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. It says, and when he has come, He will reprove, that word also means to convict. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. My, if you're feeling a guilty conscience tonight, if you're feeling under conviction of sin, listen, that's a good thing. You may not think it, but that's a good thing, for it's an indication that the Spirit of God hasn't left you. To wallow and to die in your sin. But the Lord said, when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9, of sin, because they believe not on me. The word believe here in John 16 verse 9, the word believe means to have faith in. You know, it's a sin itself. Not to put our faith in Christ. It's a sin. Tonight, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have sinned again against the Holy God of heaven. Verse 10 of John chapter 16. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment, because the prince... That is the ruler, the devil of this world is judged. That's what the Savior said would happen when the Holy Ghost would come. That he would convict the world of sin. That he would speak of righteousness and of judgment. And that's what happened. As the Savior said would happen. That's what, exactly what did happen when the Holy Ghost came. The very day that the Holy Ghost came, that's what happened. The Holy Ghost came upon the disciples and they were all filled. They were all filled, about 120 of them in that upper room. And every one of them was filled. Uh, You'll notice in the very first verse of Acts chapter 2 that they were all with one accord in one place. And so the the circumstances were right. Uh, Not just the place, but there was unity. They were all with one accord. That's An absolute necessity. That's an absolute necessity. That there's unity, there's concord. They were all of one accord. Uh, 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 And the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and it filled them. And notice what else it did. When they were infilled with the Spirit of God, it changed them. And as one commentator says, it turned midgets into giants. And we can say it filled the fearful with courage. You see, they were gathered in this upper room and the door was shut for fear. But now when the Holy Ghost came, 
and when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. What did they do? They opened the doors and they went out into the street and they preached Christ. The commentators write, the infilling of the Holy Spirit turned midgets into giants and it filled the fearful with courage. So much so that Peter, who was fearful of a damsel just a few weeks earlier, Peter, who was fearful of a damsel and denied his Lord with curses and with oaths, now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He's not hiding anymore. He's not mixing in with the crowd. But he goes out and he preaches Christ. And he does so with great power. And he does so with great effect before the multitudes. Mind you, that multitude, that included the priests and the Pharisees of whom uh, they had been afraid of. And that day, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came, the disciples were changed and the world began to change. uh, And 3,000 souls were saved and added on to the church. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41 we read, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. On the same day, there was added unto the church, unto them, about 3,000 souls. Also that day, uh, the world began to change. For from that day, the gospel was carried forth by the disciples, by the apostles, and by those converts as well, to the furthermost parts of the earth. They were in Jerusalem for the feast. But when they left, what did those converts do? They they, they went everywhere with the gospel. The world that day, that this Holy Spirit came. The disciples were changed and the world began to change as well. You know, looking back, in retrospect, it seems unbelievable that God could use men like the disciples. It seems incredible. Men that were unlearned and ignorant. The disciples, they had no experience in public speaking or or preaching. Peter, Peter, James and John and Andrew, they they were fishermen. Matthew or Levi, he he was a tax collector. What about Simon? Simon was a zealot. He's the type of a boy that kept a knife in his pocket. That's the type of man that the Lord used. But they were changed by the Holy Spirit. They were just ordinary men. But when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, that God used them to change the world. But not only that, to think that they had the courage to challenge centuries of religious teaching, centuries of sacrifices, centuries of offerings, with the amazing news that these things were now all finished. Remember how Christ cried on the cross, it is finished. They were going out with the message and they were saying, these sacrifices, these offerings now, they were all finished. The blood shedding, it's all finished with the shedding of the blood of Christ. They had the courage to go out and to challenge centuries of religiosity with the message that the carpenter from Nazareth was God's son. That the carpenter whom they had crucified, that he was the Son of God and that he was the only Savior of sinners. You know, not one member of that, of the original 12 disciples, not one of them had ever been trained in Bible college. No, I'm not against Bible colleges. I thank God for the four years of the Whitfield College of the Bible. 
But none of these disciples had been to a Bible college. None of them had been taught in theology. But for three and a half years, they had been taught by Christ. The greatest Bible college that this world has ever seen. Not one of them was a polished speaker. Rather, if these 12 men came in, we would look at them and they were rough, a blunt man who had been called from different walks of life. But Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, made ordinary men to be mighty men. Ordinary men became mighty men of God who under the power of the Holy Spirit God used to change the world. And can I say this? Because as we go around the churches, we see a lot of despondency and a lot of discouragement. Let me say this, folks, tonight. The Holy Spirit can still do the same today. Indeed, that's what we need. What the Church of Christ needs, what we need, what I need, is another baptism of the Holy Spirit. For without him we are nothing. And without him we can do nothing. And so tonight I want us to consider the miracle that changed the world by changing the disciples. You know what's going to change the world? When you and I as believers are changed. And when we can say like one in the scriptures, it's no longer I. Liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And until we can say, like John the Baptist, I must decrease, but he must increase. Until we get to that point and we get to the infilling of the Spirit of God, nothing is going to change. The miracle that changed the world by changing the disciples. Now, firstly, notice how the Holy Spirit gave the disciples power to perceive differently. Just before the Lord ascended up into heaven, he said unto the Peter, James, and John, said unto the disciples in Acts 1, verse 18, he says, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know, the scope of this promise is far wider than one at the first would imagine. It was contrary to what the disciples taught and, uh, or, or thought and believed all that time that they had followed the Savior. And it was completely contrary to what they had planned in their own minds. What the Lord told them here was just the opposite of what they thought. You see, all the while that the disciples had followed Christ, they were of the assumption, they believed that Christ would set up an earthly kingdom. They thought that his kingdom would be an earthly kingdom with rulers to rule over them and to rule with them. They thought that Christ had come to set up a kingdom with, with an army to deliver them from the Roman, Roman sovereignty. Uh, indeed, we see at times how that the disciples jostled uh, for power and for position. You remember the time in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. We read, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, 
worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? Uh, she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left. Here they were, they were jostling for position and what they imagined would be the Lord's earthly kingdom. You see how they followed the Lord? Partly because they believed that he would set it up an earthly kingdom. They wanted to receive a position of authority in that kingdom. But after Pentecost, the Holy Ghost gave them the power to perceive differently. After the coming of the Holy Ghost, they didn't see an earthly kingdom anymore. There's no mention of it. They're seeing things differently. They perceived then that the Lord's kingdom was not an earthly kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. What made the difference? The Holy Spirit changed their minds. The Holy Spirit enlightened their minds and opened their hearts with regards to this matter, that God's kingdom was not earthly but spiritual. Not only that, but Pentecost, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, changed the entire outlook of these men. Indeed, before Pentecost, they never really understood the writings of the prophets uh, and some of the outstanding prophecies. They were, they were treated just as ordinary. But after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they began to understand the Scriptures. They began to see things differently. They began to see things more easily, more clearly. Uh, and the Old Testament parchments uh, of Scripture that they had now became alive before, before they were dead. Now the Old Testament Scriptures were coming alive unto them. They could now recognize that the Lamb of God that John the Baptist had pointed to when he pointed to Christ uh, as Christ was uh, coming to him to be baptized the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God that uh, uh, taketh away the sins of the world. They could understand. Behold uh, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Those things all made sense now. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had enlightened their minds. After Pentecost and the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples could look back upon all the sacrifices. And they could say, I see it now. They could see in all the sacrifices that these sacrifices of the tabernacle and the temple were only types and shadows of the Savior of whom they had heard and walked. You know, we can stand back and say the Holy Ghost gave them the power to see, to perceive things differently. It gave them the ability to see things as they ought to have seen them. And that's what we all need at times. For like the disciples, uh, we all tend to see things uh, from an earthly uh, viewpoint, from an earthly aspect. And what, uh, and what we get out of things, even out of God's work, you know, we look at things the wrong way. When we look at them with the eyes of flesh. You know, I remember this, this story always causes me some grief. I remember some years back, Another minister said to me, he says, Brother, you know, in a few years' time, we'll be able to write our own paycheck. Oh. Now, I was surprised. I was disappointed at what he had said to me. 
For it wasn't the right way for any man to be looking at God's work. I asked him what he meant, and he said, you see, brother, in a few years, there'll be so few ministers and so many vacant pulpits that will be able to name our price. I was grieved. I was disappointed in what he was saying. You see, I'm not interested in those things. For so long as we can keep bread on the table, food on the table, and heat in the house for the family and the children, the bills paid, that's well, I'm happy. As Paul said, I have learned whatsoever state I am in there with to be content. But I tell you, that minister is no longer in the work of God. And for a long time, he was looking for a paycheck. You see, folks, we can see things. We can see God's work from an earthly aspect. Like the disciples. That ought not to be. It's not for our good. It's not for our way, but it's for God's way. It's for his glory. We can get our eyes fixed upon earthly things. And you know, we can destroy our usefulness when God's work. When we get our eyes fixed upon earthly things and earthly goals and aspirations. You know, what does that do? That destroys us for God's work. And it can be the ruination of our testimony. And and furthermore, whenever we get our eyes fixed upon earthly things, it can be the ruination of our home and our family when it happens. You know what we need? It's another baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need another Pentecost. That we might see what really is important in any of our lives. 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. Paul says, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let us give more time, more of ourselves to the Lord's work. What a wonderful encouragement and promise we find in Hebrews 13, verse 5. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You know, folks, brothers and sisters, what we need in our lives, what we need in our churches, and what the church in general needs is another Pentecost, another outpouring, another infilling, another baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost to fall upon us, to change us, to change our perception of things, that we might have the part to perceive things differently, to see what is right from the Scriptures and what is important in our lives. The Holy Spirit gave the disciples power to perceive. But then secondly, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples power to prevail courageously. Isn't it true, especially in God's work, that the greatest enemy and the greatest hindrance that we face is ourselves? Because of a lack of faith and because of a lack of trust in God. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. Isn't it true that when we think about spending time with God in prayer, the very moment that we begin to think about spending some time with the Lord, something reminds us about a whole list of things that's needing done. For the ladies, isn't it true? You think you'll spend some time with 
with the Lord and the Bible and prayer. And then they think, oh, there's clothes to be taken off the line. Uh, and there's ironing to be done. There's another load to put out. I'll go and do that first. You get that done. Something else comes. You sit down to read God's word. And the phone goes. There's something on the television that you want to see. For the men, you go to spend time with God in prayer. Uh, and something reminds you uh, about something that needs fixed in the house. The wife has asked you to fix it. You better go and do it. Uh, you need to wash the car. You need to check the oil and the water. You better do it before you forget. Why is it that all these things come into our minds the moment that we sit down with our Bible? Never affects us before. But whenever we take the Bible, it does. We go to read God's Word. Something that we wanted to read in the paper. What a battle. What a battle we have to fight with ourselves. What a battle we have to fight within our own minds. But then there's that thought of timidity. There's that thought of fear, of, of failure. We're afraid, to, we're afraid to fail. See, whenever you're afraid to fail, it means you'll do nothing. But there's always that fear of failure. Or maybe there's the thought of past failures. You've tried it before. It hasn't worked. And past failures knocks all the confidence and all the faith out of us. And we become as timid as kittens. You tried to pray publicly in the prayer meeting before. Didn't go well. You've been afraid to try it again. Oh, the danger of the fear of failure. Never be afraid to fail. Because the Lord will help you. Out of fear we make some excuse and we shy away. Isn't it true what the Bible says and Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. There's no new thing under the sun. For everything that we battle against, others in the scripture have battled with the very same thing. As far as something else to do, we think of one in Luke chapter 9, the verse 59. The Savior said, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Something else to do. We also think again of Peter on the timidity and the fearfulness of Peter on the, uh, on the night that the Savior was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember how he stood by the fire of the high priest's hall? And, uh, you remember how we read in John 18, verse 7, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Thou art, art not, thou not also one of those, uh, this man's disciples? And Peter out of fear said, I am not. Out of fear he begun tell lies. You know, we often see Peter as the froward disciple. Yeah, I've spoken at times. And even foolish at times. We think of the courageous Peter stepping out of the boat to walk on the water. But, but Peter in the New Testament was like Elisha or Elijah on the, in the Old Testament. Peter in the New Testament reminds us of Elijah in the Old. Elijah fled from before the face of Jezebel. Peter fled really before the face of a damsel. Peter at times suffered from timidity as well as courage. He suffered from timidity. He suffered from fear as well. But Pentecost put an end to all that. Pentecost fixed that problem in Peter. For when he was baptized with the Holy Ghost, all timidity, all fear was gone. 
He's out there preaching in the street. The man that denied his Lord with curses and with oaths, he's preaching in the street. God knew that if these fishermen were going to be able to succeed for him in the spreading of the gospel, then they needed something more than perception and intellectual abilities, gifts. They would need power. Power to overcome who? Power to overcome themselves and their fears. Isn't that the same for every one of us? We need power to overcome ourselves. Power to overcome our fears. Where do we get that power? The infilling of the Spirit of God. Pentecost, the infilling of the Spirit of God supplied that power for Peter. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, timid kittens were made to be courageous lions. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost lay not in Peter's ability, for he had none, but it lay in the power of the Holy Spirit, which turned every sentence that he spake into an arrow of conviction that reached down into the people's hearts. People, Peter stood up and he preached Christ and he said, Whom ye crucified, not to courage. The Holy Ghost gave Peter the courage to preach. And the Holy Ghost made the message that he preached to be with power, conviction, and success. And can I say this, that without Pentecost and without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have turned into just another band of workers, fanatics, who after a few short years would have retired or settled into some obscure region and eventually have been forgotten about. But instead, because of the infilling of the Spirit, they became living, burning flames that lit a flower that burned across the world and still burns, albeit dimly, still burns today. You know, isn't that what we all need? The infilling of the Spirit of God that we might prevail, prevail with power to overcome ourselves in our Christian life and in our Christian walk. We need it ourselves, we need it in our churches, that we might prevail over the flesh and prevail amongst those around us with the gospel that souls might be saved. They had the power to perceive, the power to prevail. I thoroughly notice the Holy Spirit give them, the disciples, power to preach powerfully. Christ had told these disciples, he says, ye shall be witnesses, not rulers, but witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Oh, they had thought that they would be rulers. But Christ told them, ye shall be witnesses. Big difference, isn't there? On Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gave them the power to preach. Give them the power to witness. You know, some people will say, well, I, I don't preach. I don't preach to people. I just live the life before them. Now, I understand where they're coming from. You can't go into the work 
every day of this week and preaching, preaching, preaching. You'll, you'll turn people away. But being honest, sometimes we say, well, I just live the life before them. Why? Because we're afraid to speak for Christ. Yes, live the life before them, but whenever the Lord opens a door and gives you an opportunity, don't be afraid to speak. You know what we all need that we might open our mouths and witness for Christ. Given the opportunity, what we need is another baptism, another infilling of the Holy Ghost to drive away our fears and to make us faithful, to give us power to witness, to speak a word for Christ, to give us the courage to do so. Sadly, others will protest and say, well, we have too much preaching. We need a little more practical Christianity. I've heard that. And, you know, in a sense, they're right. We could do with more practical Christianity. Loving one another, that's a start. Forgiving one another, that's practical Christianity. Loving one another, forgiving one another, helping one another. You only have to think of the Good Samaritan. You only have to think of the early church. When they sold the possessions and give that others might have. But I would never dare to say that we have too much preaching. We could do with more practical Christianity, but we don't have too much preaching. For God has ordained through the foolishness of preaching, not practical Christianity, through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And it was through preaching that about 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost. The disciples didn't go out of that upper room. After Pentecost and after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they didn't go out just to be better Christians and just to live the gospel before others. They went out to preach. Did you ever think that the very first thing that the disciples did, that Peter did, the very first thing that he did after he was baptized with the Holy Ghost wasn't perform a miracle. He didn't go out to perform a miracle in front of the people. He didn't go out to heal uh, the, the people that were sick. Peter left that room and the disciples after him. They went out to preach. Can I say this, that the evidence of someone being filled with the Holy Ghost is not speaking in tongues, though Peter did on the day of Pentecost. But the evidence of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit today isn't being able to speak in tongues. And it's not being able to heal someone, and it's not being able to do some miracle. Rather, the evidence of someone being filled with the Holy Ghost, well, you'll see it in their lives, in their practical Christianity, loving one another, forgiving one another, helping one another. But the evidence of a man being filled with the Holy Ghost is that he will speak for Christ. That he'd preach Christ. That he'd preach the gospel. And souls will be edified and souls will be saved. Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit changed a hesitant, half-hearted company of believers. Look at them going into the upper room. They're going in fearful. Look at them coming out coming out courageously. What happened in that upper room changed them. 
And it made a hesitant, half-hearted company of believers into, and I say it respectfully, a preaching machine capable of making the very foundations of hell tremble. And how hell must have trembled on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls about were added into the kingdom. You know, there, here's a thought. Peter must have preached hundreds of times. <clears throat> Remember how the Lord had sent the disciples out two by two and they went out. They'd done miracles and cast out demons. And they preached. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't any souls saved. But we don't read of it. But now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he's preaching in the power of the Spirit. And things are different every time he preaches. And souls are being saved. The church of Christ is being extended far and wide. The secret lay not in Peter's ability. But in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I say this? That's, that's what every preacher needs. That's what I need. That's what I want. I, I want everyone here to pray for the preachers of the gospel. That they might be filled with the Spirit of God. That the Lord would come and baptize us again with the Holy Ghost. And if so, God's men will preach with great power. You know there's something more. And we need to be all filled with the Spirit of God. For whenever we're all filled with the Spirit of God, there'll be unity, concord, and less bickering among the children of God. Pray that every faithful preacher, and include me, will you, that we may be filled with the Holy Ghost that every one of us might have another Pentecost in our lives, another infilling, that we might be changed, that God's work, that God's people will be changed, and God's work will go forward and upward, and our land will be changed. Let me finish with just one more thought. Pentecost changed the world back then. Another Pentecost would change the world again in this our day. Let us pray, Lord, send the fire. Send us another Pentecost. Let's just close this evening again in a wee word of prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for Thy word, for the challenge, for the instruction of it. O God, we thank Thee for the promised Holy Ghost. And, o God, we confess, Lord, our coldness and barrenness and apathy at times. O God, we pray that you change our worldliness and our fleshliness. O God, make us to be the spirit-filled men, women, that thou wouldst have us to be. Lord, challenge our hearts tonight. Speak to our hearts. Convict us, Lord. Make us restless. Lord, until we seek thy face, the cleansing of the blood, the unfilling of the Spirit. We we'll give thee thanks, Lord, for the food and the refreshments that have been provided. Lord, give us a blessed time of fellowship, the one with the other. And then take us our different ways in safety. Watch over us, Lord.
in this incoming week until we all meet again in this thy house next Lord's day. In thy will we pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll not sing a closing hymn, folks.